This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not provided as financial, legal, or any other advice. The information is not investment advice or an offer to buy or sell any securities or make any investment. The views expressed by guest speakers are their own and any reference to third-party products, services, or information does not constitute an endorsement thereof by SNN or its affiliates. SNN expressly disclaims all liability for any individual's use of the information presented in this podcast. My guest on the show today is Kyle Floyd, chairman and CEO of Vox Royalty Corp. It's a publicly traded company. The symbol is VOXR on the TSX and NASDAQ. Vox is a returns-focused mining royalty company with a portfolio of over 60 royalties and streams spanning eight jurisdictions. The company was established in 2014 and has since built unique intellectual property, a technically focused transactional team, and a global sourcing network, which has allowed Vox to target the highest returns on royalty acquisitions in the mining royalty sector. Since the beginning of 2020, Vox has announced over 25 separate transactions to acquire over 50 royalties. Investing is difficult. Investing in junior mining companies, in my opinion, like biotech, is extremely hard. Picking the right companies comes down to understanding a multitude of factors that require some expertise in geology or biology. For the mining industry, royalty and streaming provides a different vehicle for exposure to the space, and that's why I invited Kyle on to better understand the royalty and streaming business. With that, please enjoy my conversation with Kyle Floyd, Chairman and CEO of Vox Royalty Corp. Kyle, thank you for joining me today. How are you doing, man? Thanks, Bobby. I've been well. Um, thanks for having me on the program. Really excited to be on here. Absolutely, man. It's uh, I'm excited to have you on. This is actually the first time we've had you know kind of a, a uh, not mining adjacent, but like a, a royalty and streaming company uh, in the mining business. And I, I've been wanting to have one on here for a while. You know, look, I've known Kyle for. It's three years now. I think the first I was just looking it up. Like the first time we did an interview was back in like I think August 2020. So uh, you know, look, had to have you on and, and and let's dig in. So, you know, my first question that I ask everybody on here is uh can you start us off with that one line that best describes Vox? Yeah, we are a unique royalty company that focuses on finding value within the royalty model for our investors. So the one line would be we're the value play in the royalty industry. All right. So then uh, let's look at your history. Like I said, the first time we did an interview together was back in 2020, but I think the history goes back a little bit further than this. And you're also the founder of the company, correct me if I'm wrong. So sure. tell us the original thesis, how it got, got its start, and then catch us up to today, You know how the company evolved to where we're currently at right now. Yeah. Well, interestingly, Bobby, uh, my prior life, I was an investment banker serving small cap uh, mining companies predominantly and then also small cap investors. And what I found was that there was just, it was a it was a huge stretch that generalist investors could pick unique mining stocks to do well, given all the esoteric risks and challenges that mining companies present. It's a very difficult business. Um, and I think the economy underappreciates how much hard work goes into mining and producing the metals that we all rely on every day just to to live a normal life. Um, let me let me the, give a let me give a quick amen to all of that that you just said and uh, continue. Sorry. Yeah, and so but the the problem is is that it's very difficult to understand how to make money in the industry. And after you know, I guess really kind of working on both sides of this table, it was very clear to me that royalties were a better medium for success for the generalist investor around the world and predominantly in, in the US. And that was the investor base that I served uh, as an investment banker. And so when you looked at the royalty model, there were unique characteristics about it. 
that would allow a generalist investor to get leveraged exposure to commodities with a lot less risk. Uh, and what I believe is synthesized better upside as well. Unpacking that a little bit, what we buy and what the royalty model business is built around is we uh, essentially purchased revenue-linked interests to mines all over the world. So we're not the operator of mines. We're not a mining company. We find contracts that are already in existence, and they entitle the owner of this contract to a percentage of the revenue. Now, that does a couple of really good things for investors and for the owner of that royalty. What that allows us to do and, and accomplish for our shareholders is we're not exposed to the cost structure of mines. We're also not exposed to the dilution of a mining company raising equity to go develop or expand their project. Uh, and we're never on the hook for further capital. Once we buy this royalty, usually from a third party, we don't have to be contributing to the capital uh, and the fixed operating costs, the variable operating costs, which are quite significant in mining. The other thing that that really was tremendously beneficial for investors is that our business model allows us to put a technical team on the front lines that really understands the all the different characteristics of mines, challenges of mines, risks of mines, and, and we are a team of experts that accomplishes that due diligence on behalf of our shareholders. And so it really streamlined what I thought was an opportunity for investors to get the right kind of exposure and the right kind of assets. And it's worth probably backing up for one second. Royalty companies, the largest royalty companies for the last 15 years, 20 years, have really outperformed physical. They've outperformed the miners. They've outperformed the S&P and the NASDAQ indices. And so this has been a really kind of shining star component uh, or, or small niche sector in the markets where investors that were looking for commodity exposure, if they own these equities, they did very well. Conversely, most equities have underperformed, underperformed physical, underperformed general indices. And so it was marrying what was already being done in the industry with what we thought could be done better and then offered to investors as a better medium for exposure. Absolutely. And, you know, can you tell us also a little bit about how your models differentiated from, say, other royalty companies? Because from my understanding, the way that you go out, and I mean, you literally just said this, so not my understanding, you just said it, but is uh, that you actually go out and use a third party to buy existing contracts where some royalty companies go directly to the miners themselves and establish a deal, you know, because basically it's like a financing arrangement, right? So they get some capital, they take a percentage now of the royalty once the company, once the, the project comes online stuff like that. So can you explain the model, why you chose this path versus the other ones and what makes it unique and different compared to some of your peers out there? Yeah, absolutely. So Vox focuses on buying third-party royalties. What that means is we don't go to the operator of a mining company and give the mining company capital to go develop their projects. That is a big part of our industry there's approximately 15 royalty-like companies. So we're not the only royal metals royalty company in existence out there. Um, and so there's different business models and different niches that different companies um, you know, offer to investors. So what we focus on is finding already existing royalties. Uh, you know, essentially you can think of it as like a secondary market, although that doesn't exist for buying contracts that have already been that have already been created and executed. And oftentimes going back 20, 30, even 40 or 50 years ago, on average, we're buying contracts that have been in existence for over 25 years. Um, the other part of the business, and this is not what Vox does, is they are, as you said, Bobby, they're financing mining companies, looking for projects that are close to coming into production, giving that mining company capital. In return, they get a stream or a royalty. Streams and royalties are very similar. A stream is basically buying a percentage of the of the metal that a mine uh, 
produces in return for an upfront fee. And usually what they're buying that metal at is a discount to the metal price. A royalty is a more simplified instrument. It's only a percentage of the revenue typically that a mine's generating, and it covers all the metals that that mine would produce. And so those are the contracts that we look for over the world. We have a database that contains um, uh, almost 9,000, actually over 9,000 now uh, of these of these third-party royalties in the hands of you know, really an eclectic group of different entities and individuals. And so that's what we target. And the reason why we went into buying third-party royalties, the original concept was more focused on streaming. So financing mining companies. When I founded the company in 2014, started working on it in 2012, 2013, um, we believe that we could find a niche that would generate excess returns for shareholders. The problem was we only had a balance sheet of $7.5 million. It was very difficult to find great projects on a risk-adjusted basis that would outperform. It goes to the heart of the issue. How do you outperform? How do you provide leverage to commodity prices in the best risk-adjusted format available? We, we found that streaming was not the best avenue to do so. But just taking a slight turn or slight deviation to the model put us in position where we believed the, the, the best returns at the lowest amount of risk could be generated in the entire commodity sector. And that was buying third-party royalties. So that was the slight in 2015, 2016, uh, I would say that the slight deviation to our business that really allowed us to hit an inflection point where we could create scale leverage and what we believe are the best risk-adjusted returns in the commodity sector. So a little bit of background, a little bit of why uh, we are what we are. Perfect. So then let's get into the you know, where you building out the portfolio and some of the criteria itself, you know, you mentioned that uh, 20, 25 year or minimum 25 year contract that are or contracts that are already a minimum 25 years old. You know, can you explain a little bit more about some of the criteria and why you chose this criteria in particular? Yeah. And it's not necessarily criteria that has to be 25 years old. That's just about on average what we're finding. Got it. Okay. And, you know, one of the things that's really unique about our business model and finding third party royalties it's, it's not exclusive to us. There are other groups out there that look to buy these contracts as well. But what this allowed us to focus on was unique assets that typically would never put a new stream or new royalty on that asset. So they wouldn't look to go and finance their development. And what that meant is usually it was better, bigger operators that lowered the risk for a royalty holder like Vox. So we were also able to find uncompetitive waters to find royalties and aggregate these royalties into our portfolio where financing a mining company is usually a very competitive process. And so as a, you know, starting out as a very small company, we had to find the right pathway that would allow us to scale with, while generating consistent excess returns. Um, and, and that meant that you had to be outside of a lot of the competitive forces of the industry, because these are very desirable assets. Royalties are, are probably one of the most sought after assets in the commodity sector that there are. And if you don't have a strategic edge in sourcing those assets, um, ultimately you can be outcompeted. And so where we outcompete the rest of the groups in the industry is we bought a database that showed us where all these royalties were. Um, and therefore we have an edge in finding royalties most people don't know about. So going back to that 25 years on average in terms of how, when these contracts were created, most groups haven't been tracking royalty contracts going back 25, 30, 40 years we have a database that did do that. And so it's allowing us to find assets that are really interesting where we've seen a catalyst or a development that we really think is going to transform that asset, make that asset far more valuable, or, you know, very, you know, from our contact, very desirable to be a royalty owner over that project. 
And then we're able to go into our database and see who owns that project. And then hopefully um, build that relationship to a point that we can actually buy that asset if all the diligence checks out. But that's how our process starts. It's really asset-based screening. Then we go into our database to see if a royalty exists. And then we, you know, we hope to buy that royalty contract if uh, if the price is right. So then once what are some of those catalysts and you know inflection points that you look for when you're coming through your database and you say, okay, this is the time that we we think we want to, you know, maybe engage or at least get the conversation rolling and start, you know, potentially looking at acquiring this royalty. Maybe use uh, the recent uh, acquisition as an example, like the company just announced the acquisition of the Australian royalty, portf- the Australian yeah. royalty portfolio acquisition. So can you relate the two and, and how, how all that came about using your, your model and the, your thesis? Yeah, absolutely. Well, from a foundational standpoint, we serve investors. That's the fiduciary responsibility that we have. But we also, part of our business is serving the owners that own these royalty interests. Um, and so what we look for is assets that are typically one to three or four years out from production. And that allows us to, you know, not only use our, uh, technical expertise in terms of understanding the risks and opportunities of assets. So that's our, you know, our skill set. but it also offers up an ability for us to solve issues for the owners of these contracts, which are typically liquidity driven. I need liquidity for a reason, or I need asset diversification for a reason. And so typically they're non-core assets for the groups that own royalties. Uh, if it's not held in a royalty vehicle, it's typically a non-core asset. And so that allows us to serve our investors. So our investors don't have that same liquidity threshold or need at this moment. Meanwhile, there is a group of, of owners of these assets that do have those needs. And so we're able to marry kind of that um, investors looking for exposure with owners that need liquidity and our skill set in terms of matching both the opportunity set with the people that need uh, liquidity on the other hand. And so that's been very productive for us. When you look at this uh, acquisition of Australian royalties, this is kind of that perfect example. We didn't disclose who we bought the royalty portfolio from, but it was a group that this was certainly a non-core asset for. And it was, it was there was a particular cornerstone royalty of the nine that we were looking at. Um, and it turns out we've been trying to buy this portfolio for oh, almost seven years now. And we've been tracking developments on all the assets. We're, we're, I would say on an average monthly basis, we're probably scanning a few hundred to a thousand different assets and developments on those assets. Um, so it's very, there's, a, there's a, a lot of work going on behind the scenes and that's our mining engineers and geologists doing the right work, looking at different developments and different unique data sets to find assets that we really like that are going to be very, very valuable in the royalty context. And so this uh, portfolio, including this Red Hill asset, what we had seen is that there was a huge brownfield discovery and what was an already producing or previously producing open pit. Unbelievable grade, Western Australia, which uh, for your viewers and listeners that don't know, we usually rank the number one mining jurisdiction by the Fraser Institute, if not number one, usually ranked in the top three. But from a practical perspective, I'll tell you from our standpoint, absolutely the best mining jurisdiction to be in. So we see these unbelievable drill results. Um, we were paying attention to it. We had been in discussions with this owner of the of this royalty portfolio for a very long time, um, and we couldn't agree on price. So ultimately, we saw this development. Um, we were able to price this development. We ran internal numbers. It's called resource range analysis, where you take the known drilling that had just come out. Uh, and we were able to, to kind of put a valuation on this royalty 
we believe it'll ultimately be worth close to $100 million. We're able to buy this entire portfolio for $4.4 million, all US figures. Um, the reason why we're able to do that is one, this was a non-core asset for the group that held it. Uh, two, we were watching developments and able to price those developments better than groups that were that were out there, um, that the group that had owned this royalty. This was non-core, they wanted cash, we were able to serve that need and we were able to better price risk and opportunity um, than that group. Uh, and given that it was non-core, they were you know, uh, interested in liquidating it and, and we served that need. So we were able to find a really good deal for our investors and also serve that liquidity need uh, for the group that owned the royalty. Absolutely. Then thank you for that full explanation. And, you know, I think this also dovetails a little bit, you know, you mentioned how differentiation from your peer group, you know, and looking at the competitive analysis, how, you know, I'd say in the last year, two years, I've started interviewing, you know, with whenever I do mining interviews or the short form side, I've been doing more and more stuff with some startup, new royalty streaming companies over that period of time. And it seems like it's getting more competitive to get some of these these royalty contracts, right? Um, but part of me also thinks to myself, well, you know, whoever's the owner of that, you know, I'm sure they have a relationship with that company directly that they own the royalties in and are thinking to themselves, you know, it we might be better served that, you know, this royalty portfolio company owns these contracts versus this other one, because you don't want that contract as, as I'm just assuming as the issuer, you don't want that contract to just be floating around, right. And just be going from shop to shop. You know, yeah. you want it to know that it's going in steady hands and, you know, it's not just going to be floated out there to somebody else. So love to get your comment on some of the, the gaming of this space and, and the thought process there. Yeah. I mean, look, the, you're absolutely right. The royalty space is very competitive. We've seen this in the oil and gas sector. There's been a lot of very, very successful uh, hydrocarbon royalty businesses over the last 30, 40 years. So for US-based investors and really investors globally, it's not an entirely new concept to be an aggregator of royalties. What is somewhat unique is our approach to finding mining royalties. It's a far more illiquid market. It is a very unique set of skills that's needed to find royalties, understand the value of royalties, and then bring those into the portfolio. But it is getting more and more competitive. The good news is that Vox, uh, from going back now almost a decade ago, we were looking at building competitive advantages when no one was thinking that way. Um, and so the royalty database is a huge part of it. Our systems that we've developed internally are a huge part of that. And it allows us to find royalties outside of the competitive markets. Um, but investors and what I think is really driving a lot of the competition in the royalty sector, again, I say that outside of Vox, it is a very competitive industry outside of Vox, but just like any good business that your viewers and, and listeners in um, kind of are accustomed to, there's typically a uniqueness to a business that allows it to drive excess returns. Our uniqueness is the database, our systems, our people, our process um, that are truly unique in our industry. But when you're buying these contracts, it's really good royalties outperform. And investors are realizing that the way that the world is kind of shifting, most, I would say most investors that I come across have a very optimistic long-term viewpoint on metals prices. Where they get pessimistic is they get pessimistic on what will be a rising cost structure for mining companies. So metal prices should outperform. This entire transition from hydrocarbons into metals, it's going to have bumps in the road. It's going to have deviations in terms of adoption rates, et cetera. 
But what I believe you're ultimately going to see are, are long-term, much higher rental prices. Unfortunately, most of the inputs that go into uh, mining operations are consistent, which means that mining companies are going to be competing and, and the cost structure for mining companies is going to be increasing for that competition for inputs. Well, if you're an investor, you're going, I want leverage exposure to commodities, but I don't want my cost to rise at the same time. And so what's driving a lot of competition in the industry is there's a lot of investor demand because investors are saying, how do I find the right kind of exposure? I want that leverage to rise in commodity prices. I want leverage to metals in the ground, but I don't want to be exposed to the cost inflation that will probably creep in, will continue to be a, a big part of the sector. Royalty companies solve that, are, are I believe the answer to that. However, you still, just like any asset class, you still have to allocate capital appropriately and you have to be, you have to be you know, essentially buying assets in our industry at, at good valuations to ultimately generate the best returns. And so it is competitive, but Vox has a unique ability that's been built over the past decade that allows us to find great assets at great valuations consistently. And there's a lot that goes into it. But yes, it's a very desirable industry right now. It's a very desirable asset class. 100%. So, you know, quick dovetail from there, you know, just getting your own macro perspective, because look, I, I was just at Precious Metal Summit um, in, uh, what was that, the second week of September, did a live podcast talking about, you know, kind of sentiment and Tavi and, and the crew there did a good job of like kind of explaining it's, it's clearly negative, you know, and just uh, this, it seems like the sentiment's been negative now for for a little bit. You know, what, what, what will I'll turn that? You know, I mean, it, like every from my coming up in the space and, you know, having exposure to going to all these mining conferences, over the, years, the thesis has always been like global turmoil, you know, go to gold because that's what everybody uses the currency of transaction forever. You know, I, like it seems like that thesis is now kind of broken, you know, so can you can you provide a little perspective on that thesis itself, whether it's broken, just how the sentiment even changes? It, the industry has been very interesting for the last couple of years. Um, it's always interesting in commodities. I think that's that's probably what a lot of your listeners and viewers can appreciate is that there's volatility around commodities. Um, Vox, by the way, that's why we're called what we're called. It's a play on the VIX index. So that's how we got to the name Vox. It also means voice in Latin, which I think you know we, we try and be a voice for good governance and, and be good stewards of, of shareholder capital. But we do very well in volatility. Volatility is not going away in this sector, but what I think is gonna change it, I, I, I fundamentally do believe this transition from hydrocarbons into metals is going to be, I think ultimately bigger than what people can understand right now, but conversely, probably going to take a little bit longer. And I do think that's the ultimate kind of tonic for mining equities that you see a very big rising tide across the board, but they're going to be challenged with rising costs that go alongside of that. And so we're a very unique exposure within both the royalty industry and generally the commodity sector in that we have a pretty, you know, not quite 50-50, but close to a 50-50 mix right now from a revenue perspective uh, and an NSF value perspective where we have a lot of industrial metals and we have a lot of precious metals. So we aren't really biased to one or the other, which I think is a good thing for all the viewers and listeners out there in that we're not, we don't have an agenda of pushing gold or pushing copper. Um, what we believe is that the transition 
and from hydrocarbons into metals and the, and everything that's needed to successfully allow economies to run more on a metals basis and a batteries basis versus hydrocarbons is it's not going to be one metal that wins. What we believe will happen is that if copper shoots up, aluminum as a substitute will then also rise, which will mean that they're compete out competing, you know, say a gold company for all the inputs that are needed to bring a mine into production and keep a mine sustained in production. So if costs go too high for a gold company, well, then production will come offline. So as long as you're buying royalties over projects that have low cost are low on the cost curve, those projects will, will withstand those deviations. But what will happen is supply will come off if any one commodity or group of commodities, metal commodities, doesn't keep up with the rest. And so what I think you're going to have is this very volatile up and down, but ultimately very positive trajectory in most metals. And so when you look at the volatility of metals, individual metals over the last 20 years, we commissioned an internal report. They're actually very consistent. There's not a lot of difference in the volatility between say copper and iron ore or iron ore and gold. They tend to have similar volatilities over very long durations. What that means is that's probably what we'll see in a energy transition scenario as well, where everyone's really focused on copper and for a lot of good reasons. The, the reality is there are substitutes to copper um, and they're also competing for all the same inputs. There's only so many mining engineers. There's only so many geologists. It's not that there's this limitless supply of inputs that are needed to produce metal. And so what I think you're going to find is that on aggregate, there will be small, uh, you know, finite deviations in metal prices, but ultimately most metals are going to trade much, much higher. And so Vox is positioned to really take advantage of that. We aren't gold bugs. We're not copper bugs. We're not metal bugs at all. We're looking for really deep value in our sector and ultimately providing optionality and leverage uh, to, a, to a much bigger basket of metals that we think are all going to do well, but that we'll see lower beta on our cash flow, which should ultimately mean that the, that cash flow that we generate um, is worth a lot more. And worth noting, Bobby, I mean, we didn't touch on this. We have been... Uh, we've known each other for, uh, I think, almost more than three years now. I think more. Yeah, a, few, a little more, but yeah. We started pre-revenue, basically. When we first talked, we were almost pre-revenue. We had a few hundred thousand dollars of royalty revs coming in. We're now, uh, we went from pre-revenue to 3.7, or sorry, 3.6 million to 9.7 million. To this year, we've given guidance between 11 and 13 million. That's pure royalty receipts. We've been able to do that because we've been able to find assets on an agnostic basis where we're looking at really what's the quality of that asset. We're looking for those assets that are a couple of years out from, from revenue. Uh, and then really being able to procure those in, in a volume that we haven't really seen in the industry for many, many years, but it's all around that basis of, Hey, we don't know what exactly is going to happen with metal prices one year from today, five years from today, 20 years from today. But ultimately, there will probably likely be a, a rising tide for everybody. And we want to be best positioned to capture um, as much value uh, over that time period as, as we possibly can for our shareholders. And I think we're doing a good job with that. Absolutely. So break that down for me, too. You know, I have this slide pulled up from your, I think it's from the October uh, deck that uh, you got. It's 69 total um Right, sixty-nine total royalties, uh, royalties. and then six producing, twenty-seven development, thirty-six exploration. Can you explain development? Uh, exploration is pretty self-explanatory, right? Like still yeah. drilling, you know, proving it out, all that. Development. Can you clarify that real quick? 
Yeah, development uh, is a couple categories for us. It's either um, uh, a brownfields restart, uh, it's either on-care maintenance, or it's got engineering reports and the operators pushing that into um, a production decision. So some are in construction and will absolutely be producing over the near term. Some are still in the process of getting to that stage. So that's what we call development. Um, that's really what we target. We are looking for development stage assets where we see a line of sight to production and where we ultimately see the value uh, of a royalty in that context being worth you know, much more than we ultimately pay for it. So that's what we're focusing on all around the world. And we've been very successful at that. So we now have... Uh, we have six cash flowing royalties presently. We have uh, nine royalties over producing assets that will, we believe will eventually be producing revenue here over the near term to us. And then we have um, approximately 20 development stage assets that over the next few years, we expect um, the lion's share of, of those development stage royalties to come into production. And then ultimately also exploration royalties that we didn't necessarily target. They came to us as part of, we had a crown jewel royalty that we were after, we bought a portfolio, we ended up getting six or seven royalties around that that were nice to have. But those exploration royalties, we've seen great results where assets that we never expected to come into production, there was just wasn't enough data to come to any a, a conclusion such as that, are actually um, migrating up the development curve uh, and will be in development stage and then ultimately producing assets as well. So it's a portfolio of six over 60 royalties, six are producing cash flow. Um, and then a lot more we expect over the next few years and really into perpetuity that will continue to come into production and, and generate increasing revenues for us. And now importantly, around that, the statistic that I think matters for Vox and matters for investors um, out there the most is what we're generating the highest returns on invested capital in the industry. Um, so it's an industry that to some of your uh, viewers and, and listeners will be shocking. It's an industry that's usually targeting one to 5% returns on invested capital. And based on our royalty uh, revenue just last year and what we put into purchasing royalties, which is approximately 50 million, we're at about a 20% return on invested capital just for this year's royalty revenue. And that's long life, long duration revenue on average that is going to continue for a very, very long time into the future. That's the highest return on invested capital in our, in our industry by a very wide margin um, over the last five, six years. So it's something we're really proud of, but it speaks to what we target for shareholders. We're targeting excess returns. We believe we have a business model that's going to continue systematically achieving that for shareholders. Um, and we're really proud of the results so far that we've been able to generate. You know, one other question I have for you with, you know, when I look, when I think about the portfolio of assets and is, you know, you have those exploration uh, royalties, you have the development ones, obviously the producing ones, you know, what, what event happens for Vox in the event that, you know, the issuer that you own the royalty on gets acquired, you know, does that royalty carry over or is there a liquidity event now from the acquirer for Vox in order to buy out everything? I'm sure it's all the above, but at a minimum, love, love to hear your thoughts there. So our royalty typically runs with the land. Um, and so the benefit is there's a, almost all scenarios, the royalty survives uh, and there's almost no change to it. So if, um, and we've had this, and this has been very productive for assets in our royalty assets in our portfolio, where we have a royalty over a project, really interesting project. Um, and ultimately, but it's, it's with a small mining company that might not have the skill set or the capabilities or resources to bring that in production. It gets bought by a bigger mining company that does. 
Um, case in point would be our sale, our South Railroad royalty over um, a development stage gold project uh, in Nevada. Uh, gold Standard Ventures owned uh, the project. It was ultimately bought by a company called Orla. Uh, and Orla is well positioned to bring that asset into production where maybe uh, Gold Standard Ventures wasn't quite, you know, capitalized and had all the resources to do that. Our royalty sticks, nothing really changes. Um, and so that's the benefit of it, uh, is that our asset, it's not diluted. It's not typically uh, edited or changed because of an acquisition. And, and sometimes that's what we're looking for. We're looking for royalties where we do think that there could be that change of control event that will unlock the value of the asset uh, because the current owner doesn't really have the, the capability to bring that into production. So it's something that we look for. Um, and it's the great thing about royalty contracts is, for example, in Canada, uh, royalty contracts typically run with the land and can survive bankruptcies. So if you're an equity holder, you're wiped out. If you're a debt holder, you're wiped out. If you're a royalty holder, that royalty will, will typically run with the land. Um, and it's not diluted. One of the biggest risk investors face generally in owning uh, junior mining companies is dilution. How much money is it gonna take to get into production? And how many shares are they gonna have to issue uh, to get to that stage before they're generating positive cash flow. And it typically means, and the ultimate situation is that it takes a lot more than anyone expected, which means that that cash flow per share that you thought you were buying is reduced significantly. A royalty company alleviates that issue and that our royalties are not diluted by equity raises or debt. Um, and so it's one of the most profound features that are positive for investors in, in owning royalties or exposure to royalties. Very good. All right. So, um, by the way, thank you for asking. That was something I've, I've thought about over the years when it comes to royalty companies. I'm like, does it follow with it or, or you know, whatnot? So, you know, we're going to get to some questions now that I like to ask everybody on here. You know, um, first one is, you know, you've, again, we've done interviews together, you know, at, at investor conferences, you've done the dog and pony show, you know, uh, you, you get it. You speak with investors probably on a hourly basis or minute by minute basis at this point, you know, so, you know, even after maybe those who are new to the story, maybe they just did a one-on-one -on -one with you, you know, what, what do investors still get confused about Vox royalty? And maybe we can answer some of those frequently asked questions here. A great question. And what I find is that we have so many royalty assets that it's like, wow, Kyle, Vox, break this down for me. What should I be caring about? Um, because I, it's that's a lot of assets. Think about uh, for an investor that's looking at one mining company that owns one asset. All you're talking about are the particular risk, challenges, upsides, opportunities around one singular asset. We have approximately 69 in the portfolio now. So that's one of the big kind of question marks everyone has. Well, what should I care about? And what I would say is you you have to look at it from two perspectives. Net asset value is the purest form of valuation. That's the NPV or expected net present value of future cash flows generated from your royalty portfolio. Now, net asset value or NPV, uh, well, it's the truest uh, valuation metric, has challenges because how do you value each one of these royalties? What probability do you put on them coming into production? Have you discounted for that? What is the discount rate? There's a lot of challenges to that, but at its purest form, that would be the best way to value. The other way would be on relative multiples like cash flow, earnings, et cetera. So first it's breaking down, well, what really matters? And you have to kind of look at relative valuation. What, what's Vox worth? What are these assets worth? Um, and so how do you break those down? And what I would say is you look at what's in production now and what do you expect reasonably to be in production over the next three to five years? Uh, 
Um, and so breaking that down, and I wouldn't suggest we do it on this because on this program right now, because we have ultimately, we believe will be 25 to 35, maybe more royalties that ultimately come into production over the next three, five, seven years. So we could spend a lot of time, but the challenge is breaking down what time horizon do you care about? And what does that mean to you, the investor? That's, that's one of the biggest things. I think it's one of the big challenges of the industry is that there's not one cash flow stream. For us, it could be 20 plus, 30 plus cash flow streams at the end of the day. And so how do I appreciate those in aggregate? That's that's one of the big questions. And, and frankly, it's it's a hard one to answer. And each investor has to kind of take away, well, what duration do I really care about? Do I care about what you're going to do next year? Do I care about what you're going to do 10 years from now? What I would suggest is, is there's a medium term that really matters um, that allows you to kind of get a pretty good handle on what a royalty company is going to do. We focus a lot on what does Vox look like one year from now, two years from now, three years from now, versus going out into you know five, 10 years down the road. But we we get that question quite a bit. I think it's something that investors always have some curiosity around. Well, I wonder if it's also because, sorry, or do you want to finish that thought or... No, no, no. I'll, okay. I'll let you continue. Uh, it, no, because it, it, it's interesting that you say that because I think one of the things, especially over the last three years and doing a ton of interviews with junior mining companies, is there's that balance. And, and this is where you guys come in. And maybe this perception is because there's that balance of, okay, even if a company had blockbuster, you know, okay, wow, newest discovery, this is it, bonanza, gold, silver, what have you, you know, here we go, we found it. But then when you when you press the, you know, the the management team, you think like, okay, well, you know, now you're going to go through the process for develop this, turn into a mine, especially if the the the, the, the NAVs on those are, are monstrous, right? right? Even just on those on those drill holes alone, right? But then you have some of those management teams that just will keep drilling. Because and for whatever reason, maybe some of them, you know, they think they can. There's more there. Some of them may have other motivations, right? You know, just mm-hmm. right. So I think that might also be where some of the where it, it maybe some of that those questions come in for you guys. It's like, well, how do you know that the royalties that you're buying from those, well, not from the issuers directly, but the royalties for those issuers that you're buying from the third party? How do you know that? they're on track for that one to three year time horizon to go into production. Because most of the time, like I think back in 2021, I did so many interviews with those companies that were like, yeah, we're going to be in production this time. And, you know, we usually do them in August, like this time in January, 2022, I would, I would bet that less than, you know, 5% of them were. You know, well, that's, it's, that's a really difficult thing to, to be able to, to, to tell. So two parts to that story. The problem is even when they are successful bringing an asset into production, they usually it costs more than anyone expects. It does take a little longer than anyone expects. Uh, and ultimately the, the shareholders left with this mine, actually the management team did what they said they were going to do. They got this asset into production. And yes, to your point, there's a wide spectrum of outcomes. A lot of companies aren't able to hit the timelines that they set up. And it's not necessarily their fault. It's just it's a very volatile industry that needs a lot of things to come together to be successful. But the problem is a lot of times those equity holders, they trusted the company, the company delivered, and yet still there was more dilution than expected. The share price is depressed. It needed more capital. It did end up being becoming a successful mine, but it wasn't successful for shareholders. The One of the most, I think, profound reasons to own a royalty company is that in-production catalyst 
is huge for a royalty company. That takes us from this is expected cash flow and expected valuation around a royalty once it's in production to this is now more crystallized value. And so you don't have that challenge of, well, what do the equity do? Yeah, ultimately you care about what did Vox's equity performance do, but the value of our asset has fundamentally changed once that's gone into production versus wondering, well, as an equity holder, am I going to win if this thing comes into production the way that the management is explaining to me? Now you have to back up even further to say, there's a lot of risk from development stage to production. There's no doubt about that. And that is why the industry, junior mining industry is so difficult for investors and why they typically shun the industry altogether, which is unfortunate because we need mining companies to be successful. It's a very hard business. Uh, It would be better if there were tools for investors to be able to invest in it than to shun it altogether. I believe we're one of those tools, which is we are a very valuable part of the mining ecosystem. And we offer investors that conduit to exposure with a lot less risk and having the technical team. So our our proprietary advantages and systematic processes, yes, but also our technical team getting to your point, Bobby, of, well, there's a lot of companies that you meet with, a lot of management teams that you talk to, they say, this is going to happen. It doesn't. We have to price in and, and calculate for all the variables that affect that outcome. So do they have permits? Do they have good geology? Was the engineering uh, in the feasibility study done right? Do they have a great team? Or is that team going to be able to raise the capital necessary to bring that project into production? Are there going to be unforeseen scale-up challenges? There's a host of issues that you know, that will that will ultimately drive whether that mine comes into production and is successful. Our team of mining engineers, geologists, and having been in the sector for 15 plus years myself, we're able to understand what makes those outcomes far more guaranteed um, versus uncertain. And so we're looking for developments on assets and we're looking for situations where it's much more a question of if uh, or not not a question of if that asset's going to be coming into production, but when. So we're we're looking for assets that we are almost you can't ever get one hundred percent confident in any line of business, mining also, but as close to one hundred percent confident as you can be that these assets are going to come into production at some stage. Now the other key variable is well over what timeline, and so we're pricing both of those um, both of both of those risks essentially, and we're doing it well. And you can see that with our track record of buying pre-production assets and then having them come into production. We have certainly had cases where assets are taking a little bit longer um, and, and you know, very select few cases where it's like, ah, maybe that asset isn't going to come online over the, you know a reasonable time period at all. But by and large, we're buying assets that are coming into production ahead of our expectations um, and ultimately producing a lot more revenue than we expected as well. Very cool. All right. So this question I ask everybody on here as well, you know, playing devil's advocate, you know, you made a very compelling case about, you know, the royalty business and also Vox in general, you know, but, you know, from in your opinion, what would you say are some of those downside risks that folks should be aware of when looking at Vox? Well, let me put it in context of the overall industry. It's a very competitive industry. Um, And Vox has done a very good job of planning for that and building what any investor should expect is a business that has unique competitive advantages uh, that allow its investors to generate excess returns. I think we've done a great job of that. That being said, it is competitive. And you know we have to continue to reinvest 
in the systems, processes, and people that allow us to have that competitive advantage, and we will. But you know, if, as a general industry statement, it's a competitive industry. So investors need to look at it and say, well, do, is the company that I'm picking going to be successful in buying assets at good valuations? Because there's a lot of companies in our industry that are not buying good assets at good valuations. And so it doesn't matter how good the business model is, if you're overpaying for assets, um, it's going to make it very hard for you to generate excess returns or returns at all for your shareholders. So that's that's one big thing. And and then look, candidly, a Vox specific, um, you know, kind of, uh, I would say, challenge is that we're a small cap company. Um, you know, we were talking about some of the sentiment when we kind of started the show. The sentiment in the industry is poor, in the commodity industry in general, it's even more, uh, I would say, pessimistic right now over small cap. Um, and so... The, the world is cyclical. Industries are cyclical. I believe small cap will become back, will come back in favor at some stage. I don't know when that is. And does Vox migrate out of small cap organically to where we ultimately get what we believe is a very fair, favorable relative multiple to our peers where we're trading at a big discount right now? Some of that will be driven by, are we able to continue scaling our business with the accretive results that we've achieved to date for our investors? I believe that we can. We have a competitive advantage that allows us to do so. And I think our investors can have confidence in that. But, you know, again, you have kind of an overlaying competitive industry. And then ultimately, can a company like Vox continue to accretively grow and move itself into a mid-cap company and ultimately, you know, who knows where, but become more liquid and trade at higher relative multiples? Right. And that I, I agree with that, you know, because I think the main thing probably folks think about when it comes to Vox in terms of the risk assessment is like, OK, all right, they're revenue generating, they proved that they can buy uh, royalties that actually will generate revenue, you know, that that hit their thesis, they're guiding for this amount. But then the question becomes like, okay, will they continue to be able to, like, for the rest of uh, what they have in their, in your, in your portfolio, when will that come online so that they continue to fund buying new potential uh, royalties organically versus probably having to go to public markets yep. and, and raise, right? Like that's, that's the real, that's the real exactly. equation, right? Right. Exactly. And look, we raised money in June. We raised almost $8.5 million to buy this royalty portfolio that ultimately will cost us a, a little over $5 million. Um, and we did that because we believe there was well over $100 million in value in what we were buying. So, you know, we that's very accretive use of proceeds and capital for our investors. The great news is as our cash flow continues to build, we're now free cash flow positive. We're able to redeploy those funds into buying new royalties. And that means dilution will continue to decrease for our investors uh, and value will continue to increase. And that what is what I think really separates us as a royalty company from almost all of our peers is that we've already achieved positive cash flow. We have an ability to buy assets uh, for what's in our sweet spot. Let's call it three, four, five, ten million dollars um, and up in some cases where our cash flow from operations is going to be in, a, in good position to continue funding those accretive acquisitions. And we're not having to dilute our shareholders more. Now, look, we're still early in our growth cycle. Um, we have amazingly accretive acquisitions. So we don't want to be issuing equity um, going back to the markets for the right opportunities. You know, you do it. But I think what's going to be showcased to investors is that we have a lot of levers to pull between uh, potentially debt facilities, uh, monetizing non-core assets and positive cash flow for operations that allows us to grow our business accretively uh, and while minimizing dilution, which is a big deal to investors and it should be. 
Absolutely. So my final question for you here today, and Kyle, thank you for answering everything that I've thrown at you, you know, um, from your perspective, you know, uh, kind of taking a a page out of the the Ian Castle playbook in terms of a a question on in terms of guidance, you know, I I don't like I don't want to ask like near term guidance, you know, kind of already alluded to and, you know, for the year and short term stuff like that. But in terms of goals and vision for the company, you know, where would you like to see Vox in three years, you know, what's that three-year outlook? Where we're, you know, let's say we're doing this again, October, you know, recording this on Monday, October 16, twenty three, you know, uh, October 16, twenty twenty six. You know, what do you want to see Vox look like? Look, I think it's more of the same. Um, you know, I, I I think there's a lot of companies that would say, well, you know, we're going to have to reinvent ourselves. We're going to have to have all these things go our way, or you know, the competitive forces mean we've got to get more creative. And don't get me wrong, we're doing all those things. We continue to look for blind spots and ways to be better. Uh, We're amazingly disciplined around finding opportunities to be even better at what what we do in the future than where we are today. And so we're doing all those things. We have a competitive advantage now. We don't take that for granted. I think that's huge. Um, So three years from now, my hope is that we're having uh, a very similar conversation in that Bobby, we told investors we'd do this and we exceeded those expectations. We told investors we'd do that and we exceeded those expectations. And it was because we continued to invest in our competitive advantages. We continued to execute with discipline um, and we served our shareholders. And I think one of the big things that will drive a premium valuation at the end of the day, look, for the the listeners and viewers, we're trading at a discount to almost our entire uh, competitive peer group. What I would suggest is that I believe our business will ultimately be worth a premium to that group of companies. And that will be driven off of track record performance and consistency in doing what we said we're going to do. We have what I believe is the only unique competitive advantage in the royalty sector. And I believe that we're going to continue being able to develop around that and produce the results that we have. I don't think our past results are luck. I think they're, you know, a, a, direct correlation and function of our systematic and proprietary advantages in terms of bringing these assets into our portfolio. And I believe they're the right assets for investors that are looking for leverage to commodities and want exposure to that sector. And we're uniquely positioned to offer um, investors that that capability. So I I think what we're talking about in two, three years time is, hey, more producing assets, more revenue, uh, and I hope a much higher stock price as well as a function of that. I think that's a great place to end it. Kyle, where can our audience go and find more information to follow along the Vox Royalty story? So voxroyalty.com, that's the website that will give you um, a lot more information. And then, of course, on the typical social media channels. And for any unique questions that anybody has, ir at voxroyalty.com is a good place to send emails. Uh, I'm usually checking that inbox along with our team. So we'd be happy to be in touch and, uh, and answer any specific questions that come about. Very good. Dude, Kyle, thank you so much for joining me today. Really do appreciate it. Good luck. Stay safe. I look forward to our next update. Likewise, Bobby. Appreciate you. Thank you. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not provided as financial, legal, or any other advice. The information is not investment advice or an offer to buy or sell any securities or make any investment. The views expressed by guest speakers are their own and any reference to third-party products, services, or information does not constitute an endorsement thereof by SNN or its affiliates. SNN expressly disclaims all liability for any individual's use of the information presented in this podcast.